Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. are strange times We don't know where we're going Plays on the mind All of this unknowing In all of our lives It's all so terrifying We're at the breaking point It's true Now is the time To change this world forever Just read the signs We've all been sent the letter We've crossed the line But if we stand together There's so much we can do Stand by one. 
We're certainly at a fork in the road. This is the week that Donald Trump met up with John Yoo. Who? Hello from Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe. Now, if John, you met up with our friend, the Adam, then you'd have something. In the meantime, you have this. France's new energy minister, who knew, has called a major French nuclear project, quote, a mess, unquote, in interviews. The European Pressurized Reactor, the EPR to you and me, it was commissioned by the Flamanville nuclear power plant. It was to join two existing pressurized water reactors, but it's been delayed and plagued by problems. The latest extension takes the project timeline from 13 years to at least 17. But, you know, we could push it. The goal with the design of the EPR was to continue to set out the world's highest output nuclear plants with individual reactors that were more powerful and safer. Why did we need... It was already safe. The EPR uses less uranium, Because its chemical design is more efficient, it's not any kind of major technological leap. Instead, it's an iteration on a previous design that's just a little bit better, according to popular mechanics. Engineers are so eager to keep iterating, they already have an EPR design, too, in the works. EPR dates back to the 2000s. Remember those? When the first two reactors were commissioned for Europe, uh, specifically France and Finland. Despite breaking ground in 2000. Five and seven, respectively. Neither reactor is kept to its timeline. That is so unusual for this industry. Now, Finland will be the first in 2021. If it hits its repeatedly rescheduled opening day, France is even farther back at 2023. The uh, latest extension of its deadline was signed in March. That puts Flamanville. Thank you. Ten years past its original due date. One of the more alarming Causes for delay is a break in the main secondary system penetration welds. You know those. That's contributed to a budget that's bloated from a planned $3.9 billion to $14.6 billion. That's not bloat. That's just a kind of a nice fattening. In July, France's Court of Auditors slammed the Flamil project, saying EDF, the builder, had vastly under- underestimated its cost 
and timetable for completion. Orson? Ah, the French. My sentiments exactly. And let's go now to the Marshall Islands. Shall we? Come on, you got nothing better to do. Uh, let's go back there in July 1946 when U.S. officials relocated inhabitants, promising them they could soon return. For many of them, that just didn't turn out to be possible. Some islanders were exposed to high levels of radiation in a March 1954 Castle Bravo experiment. U.S. engineers vastly underestimated the impact of a thermonuclear explosion thousand times stronger than Hiroshima, and radioactive material rained down on nearly nearby coral reefs, islands, and their inhabitants. This is from the Washington Post as we observe the 75th anniversary of the first atomic weapons dropped on people. But these are the tests that followed. The Marshall Islands were exposed to the daily equivalent of 1.6 Hiroshima-sized explosions between 1945 and 1958, if the impact were spread evenly. Well, that would be fair. Last year, a Columbia University study found that radiation levels in some areas there are still, quote, far higher than areas affected by Chernobyl and Fukushima. The president of Marshall Islands till January, Hilda Hain, Hilda Heine, I didn't really say that, did I? It looks like Hilda Heine. She told the Washington Post, a lot of the critical information was not disclosed at the time of the tests. In the following decade, she said her people faced broken promises no, from the United States, and insufficient compensation therefrom. The U.S. has refused to pay $2.3 billion in damages awarded to the Marshall Islanders by a nuclear claims tribunal. Victims in the continental United States, the CONUS, have faced similar legal hurdles. The U.S. Radiation Exposure Com- Compensation Act... I didn't know there was one. Did, 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 did John Wayne know? That act does not cover all those affected and is set to expire in two years anyway, unless it's extended. You know, the president sitting down at his um, golf course and having a signing. Soldiers assigned to witness atmospheric tests in Nevada through 1952 were also among those exposed to radiation. You're welcome. Protecting the troops, supporting the troops. A report for the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention in the National Cancer Institute found that testing may have led to thousands of deaths. Reports that at least 11,000 U.S. cancer deaths may be attributable to the atmospheric tests between 1951 and 1962. Um, According to research by Keith Andrew Myers, an economic historian, the atmospheric tests may have affected a wider area than originally assumed, throwing radioactive particles across a swath, a swath, I say, of the United States and affecting mortality patterns on a grand scale, leading to at least 145,000 deaths between 1952 and 1988. Why, we've killed that many people this year just in the last six months with another thing. Nuclear testing, quote, has always been disproportionately felt by already marginalized communities, according to Matt Corda, a researcher with the Federation of American Scientists' Nuclear Information Project. The U.S. government and the scientific community essentially lied to residents who were living around those sites in Nevada, as well as the Marshall Islanders, about the dangers of radiation exposures. Meanwhile, over in the Soviet Union, they weren't exactly um, doing good stuff either. Health authorities in Kazakhstan believe that atmospheric tests in Semipolitinsk in Kazakhstan, the primary testing site, 
uh, that the tests there exposed up to 1.5 million residents to radiation. The impact may not yet be understood because of the, you know, the silencing of the people. Research cited by the journal Nature suggests adverse cardiovascular effects may be passed down to future generations. Hey, you can inherit this stuff. You can inherit a lovely relationship with our friend, the Atom. And now here come these guys again. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. What about the Maldives? Whoever thinks about the Maldives, I guess the same people who think about the Marshall Islands. The amount of microplastic pollution in waters around the Maldives, a global tourist destination known for its beautiful coastline, that um, microplastic pollution level is the highest in the world, among the highest in the world, has the potential to severely impact marine life in shallow reefs and threaten the livelihoods of island communities. Microplastics, you know them. Marine scientists from Flinders University in Australia, I bet you don't know them, recorded the levels of plastic pollution in sand across 22 sites off the coast of Nafaru, the most populous island in uh, Laivani. Laiviani Atoll, I say, to determine how much microplastic is present around the island. Distribution was found to be ubiquitous in the marine environment, Results published in Science of the Total Environment. Flinders University lead researcher Toby Patty says microplastics are highly concentrated in the waters around the island. Majority of them were less than 0.015 inch in width. Results raise concerns about the potential for microplastic ingestion by marine organisms in the shallow reef system. The accumulation of microplastics is a serious concern for the ecosystem, and a local community living off of these marine resources can have a negative impact on human health, he says. Who cares about human health? The high levels could have been transported by ocean currents from neighboring countries in the Indian Ocean. You're India. You're uh, Bangladesh. You're Pakistan. As well as from Maldivian land reclamation policies, poor sewage and wastewater systems. Uh, as to that, pres- uh, Professor Karen Burke de Silva says notorious, quote, rubbish islands, unquote, used as landfill sites are also contributing to the high concentration of microplastic found around the island. Quote, current waste management practices in the Maldives cannot keep up with population growth and the pace of development. Well, that's true here, too, isn't it? By here, I mean where you are. This small island nation has seen a 58% increase of waste generated per capita on local islands. In the last decade, she says, researchers are now looking at the stomach content of coral reef fish to see if they have bellies full of microplastics in a follow-up study. I'm not sure I want to be among that number. Virtually all seafood, especially sardines, contains microplastics, according to a new study. Every sample tested by the team of researchers at the University of Queensland contains some form of contamination. We, po- we found polyvinyl chloride, a widely used synthetic plastic polymer, in all samples we tested, but the most common plastic in use today, polyethylene, was the highest concentrate we found, reports Francisca Ribeiro, 
from the uh, Alliance for Environmental Health Sciences at the university. Quote from them, edible marine species tested sardines had the highest plastic content, which was a surprising result. Quote, the uh, microplastics were packed in them like, yeah, you know. Every gram of sardines you eat, you're consuming, on average, about 2.9 micrograms of microplastics. Lower concentrations in crabs, oysters, prawns, and squid. Different kinds of animals had different dominant microplastics. Fish mostly had polyethylene. The only type found in oysters was polyvinyl chloride. Well, you see, your oysters have good taste. The researchers say it's the first time the amount of microplastics in terms of weight has been measured in seafood. Microplastics not only enter our diet from seafood, but also from bottled water, sea salt, beer, and honey. Well, that's my diet, as well as the dust that settles on our meals. Eat quickly. Last year, researchers in Canada estimated the average person would consume between 74,000 and 120,000 pieces a year. There's little evidence on whether they're actually harmful or not at these quantities. The Aussie researchers from Queensland say their next step is to figure out exactly where all that, all that stuff is coming from. They fear that microplastics are able to degrade into nanoplastics, small enough to enter cells. This was published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. And there's good news. Really? Why, why spoil the fun? Used masks and other personal protective equipment could be turned into biofuel. This would prevent the devastating environmental effects of disposing of such items. Newsweek is uh, quoting from the journal Biofuels, as it always does, really, if you follow it. Um, Researchers at the University of Petroleum and Energy Studies say PPE, of course, as we've learned, is essential for protecting health care workers. But, you know, we're cranking, although the the (laughs) president of the United States likes to say we're cranking them out by the millions, still seems to be a shortage. But yet, we are, there's a lot of them. And they're used up quickly. PPE, stuff, gowns, masks, shields. And uh, that plethora will make plastic even more of a problem for our planet, according to that university team. Polypropylene used to make PPE is a single-use, non-woven plastic which can take decades to decompose (laughs) and so ends up in landfills or in the ocean. A study published last year in in the journal Marine Pollution Bulletin, I buy it for the ads, that was before the pandemic, found polypropylene was among the most abundant microplastics in Mediterranean coastal waters. Amid the pandemic, reports have emerged of masks littering the environment, according to a study published in Environmental Science and Technology, an estimated 129 billion face masks and 65 billion gloves are used each month globally during the pandemic. And you can imagine what that can do to the environment. The authors of the biofuel study reviewed existing research on how to reuse polypropylene and suggested an approach known as pyrolysis. Not pyrolysis or paralysis, but pyrolysis may be the best solution. That involves exposing materials to high, high pressure 
temperatures for short periods of time, high pressures and temperatures. This causes the macromolecules, thank you, to break down and turn into liquid fuel and other substances. What are those other substances, I wonder? We'll look at that another time. Unlike with some recycling processes, materials do not need to be separated before pyrolysis. The liquid fuel produced from the plastic would be clean and have similar properties to fossil fuels, according to the team. The material can cause a significant threat to the environment in the coming months. You're talking about the PPE. Pyrolysis-based conversion into biofuel can help to overcome this challenge substantially. This method is an environmentally friendly alternative to incineration and inefficient landfilling. Landfill is now a verb. A toast. One of the co-authors said uh, the benefits of pyrolysis pyrolysis indicate the ability to produce high quantities of bio-oil, which is easily biodegradable. Hence the name. No, not hence the name at all, but it is. Just a happy coincidence. Just one word, ladies and gentlemen, microplastics. Now, I um, make it a habit not to really spend too much time on this. This wee little hour I have every week talking about my own self. There's plenty of time to do that to my friends and neighbors and relatives. I don't need to burden you with all that. But it occurs to me that at this moment when um, maybe the publicity blitz may not have reached you or the rest of this planet, that uh, I might take a moment or more to uh, tell you about a little project I've got going. It's a song about (laughs) Donald Trump every week for the next dozen weeks. And uh, you may recognize some of these ditties. They started here, but they've uh, undergone a... uh, a severe dressing up for the occasion. And the first of these songs, which uh, went public a few days ago, also features a video which I can't play for you here because, damn it, this is radio. I mean, God bless it, it's radio because I'm not wearing pants. But I can share with you the song itself. It's an ode in the voice of the president to his chief advisor, a man who's portfolio extends to the very limits of his lack of competence, Jared Kushner. It is, of course, his son-in-law.
Have we done this already? Come on, guys, I'm missing Hannity. From the home of the homeless, this is Le Show, and now in the very same key. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole the Third. The International Olympic Committee faces the prospect of having to reopen negotiations with NBC. Oh, my God. It's the first time I've ever felt sorry for the IOC. Over the amount that NBC will ultimately pay for the U.S. rights to the Tokyo 2020 Games, which, as you may have noticed, are not happening in 2020. A note in the newly published financial statements of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee explains that the one-year postponement of the Games has triggered a right of abatement on a basement, right of abatement clause in the agreement between the IOC and NBC. This is said to stipulate that NBC and the IOC shall negotiate in good faith <laughs> an equitable reduction in the applicable broadcast rights payments. If the games pass off as normal in their new time slot, it seems possible that any reduction to the $1.4 billion fee reported to have been agreed in 2011 might be relatively small. The two are old partners, according to Inside the Games. NBC's still broadcasting the Olympics until at least 2032. Under present extraordinary circumstances, however, this cannot be guaranteed, especially since the negotiations negotiations would not occur until after the completion of the Games in 2021. This might give rise to concerns over possible delays to the time frame under which money is subsequently redistributed to the international federations whose sports form part of the games. Ooh, sounds like somebody's going to get screwed. And a politician who served during the Fouke disaster has criticized claims that the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and Paralympics can show humanity's triumph over coronavirus. Former Mayor Katsumobu Sakurai drew comparisons to the recovery efforts after the Fouke tragedy in his region. He was in office with the town in Prefecture among the hardest hit areas. The Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has vowed to hold the Olympics in a complete way as proof that humankind has beaten the coronavirus pandemic, which caused the games to be postponed. Sakurai gave a critical assessment in an interview with Japanese newspaper the Mainichi. He compared the coronavirus claims to earlier pledges to use the games to highlight recovery efforts in disaster hit areas, even though he says a recovery is far from reality. It is superficial, he says, to declare a recovery with no actual progress. Vaccines have not yet been put into practical use. The world has not yet been freed from the risk of infection. There is no chance of success, says Sekurai, of success by trying to box in reality to meet the labels the government upholds. Well, they got that problem too, huh? The idea of a coronavirus Olympics may likely end as a mere fantasy. Baseball and softball games new to be held in Fook during the Olympics to uh, highlight recovery efforts. 
postponed torch relay was also scheduled to begin in Fu. Sakurai says that, says that there was inconsistency regarding the label of the Games as a recovery Olympics. No matter how much you tout the Games as a sign of recovery, the overall picture of only Tokyo prosper, prospering while the recovery of the disaster hit areas remains undone will not change. There are more crane trucks in Tokyo at the construction site of the Athletes' Village than in the disaster hit areas. He says. Yeah, but it's, it's a movement. The Olympics. And we all need one. Every day. Okay. Hold it down, people. You may have noticed, ladies and gentlemen, uh, or in the news, that um, one of Rupert Murdoch's sons... Yes, this is news of nice people. Nice people doing nice things. Uh, one of Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's sons, I say, has resigned from the board of Nice Corp. Uh, James, he had been uh, implicated in uh, when he was overrunning the uh, Nice Corp operation in the UK in the phone hacking scandal that uh, almost brought the whole shooting match to its knees. And uh, then he was shipped to New York to do stuff here. Uh, here in the United States, he was long rumored to uh, be the heir, but then uh, his brother Lachlan returned triumphantly from his self-imposed exile in Australia to be the guy that Rupert tapped to run the Fox outfit, Fox News, Fox Sports, Fox Business, the Fox Network, everything Fox. I thought that should be their slogan. But um, he he remained, did James, on the board of New, uh, Nice Corp, a separate company from Fox Corp. Nice Corp runs the newspapers. The Wall, your Wall Street Journal, your New York Post. Hi, <laughs> New York Post. Thinking about you. Um, and then that's over now. He uh, says it, it, the reporting by the organization and its news outlets no longer meets his uh, standards, especially with regard to the reporting about the bushfires in Australia last year by the Murdoch-owned nice papers down there. But there's more on this. This week on Keeping Up with the Murdochs, the prodigal son leaves home again. Okay, Manuel. Yes, sir. Down on the lower back, please. Yes, yes, sir. Just like I tell you each session. Yes, sir. I like to hear it. I can find my own way. Thanks. I'm sorry, honey. He just... Hello, James. I could recognize you by the desperation in your voice. That's excitement you're hearing. I've come over to give you the news in person. I haven't got my... Lower. I haven't got my news in person. Since Don Trump told me he was going to run for president, I told him he was bat guano crazy. <laughs> so what's your news? Another next-gen investment go belly up on you? Piggy bank's empty, my boy. I, I, I need you to listen to that. Usually during Miss Hodge, he just talk. Manuel, three letters. N-D-A. Capiche? Cute story. That was the first thing Trump and I bonded over was the need for NDA. I'm leaving the News Corp board, sir, as of right now. You know, you're still bound by the NDA just the same. That's all you have to say about it? 
after I took all those bullets for you and the phone hacking nonsense in London? I gave you a graceful exit to a BS job uh, in New York. Geez. I could have just left you in England as chum for the sharks in Parliament. Uh, you know, speaking of food, would anybody like some tea cakes? I'm good. I'd like some, darling. Take your time bringing them out. Okay. So, James, seriously, what's the problem? Private jet to the board meeting is too small. Oh, would you save the sarcasm for somebody who doesn't get it, like the L word? Did somebody say my first initial? Oh, Lachlan, you know your brother, the former board member. Ah, we're going to miss you. The croissants, the special coffees, the jokes you heard on Kimmel the night before. You always hang out here in your trunks. Next in line for a manual special. He's the best. I don't think I was ever invited to a massage a dude. I'm assuming you're not quitting the board over lack of equal access to manual. It's all in my statement. You know, some of us might be too busy running the company to read your statement. Okay, for the reading impaired, I realize the editorial stances of this company were out of alignment with my principles or all due respect with like reality and you just figured that out this week i took that long for his wife to turn him into a certified tree hunter. why don't you leave my wife out of this why don't you we're running a business here not a social justice ngo maybe i shouldn't have let your mother raise you to compete for my love oh sir you did right oh, i guess i came back just in time tea cakes look james it's not my fault that Disney deal didn't work out. I know the mouse house has slightly higher standards. Maybe I should Cake's just... getting cold. The fireworks continue online. And keep up with Keeping Up with the Murdochs on our Instagram. It's not free. Now news of the godly. A recent literature review, I don't think they were reading Shakespeare, though. I, I, mean, I think they mean scientific literature. The University of Alberta cult expert and his former graduate student did the review. It paints a startling and consistent picture of institutional secrecy and widespread protection of those who abuse children in religious institutions, quote, in ways that often differ from forms of manipulation in secular settings, unquote. According to the university, it's the first comprehensive study exposing patterns of sexual abuse in religious settings. Quote, a predator may spend weeks, months, even years grooming a child in order to violate them sexually. Unquote. Susan Rain, a sociologist at McEwen University and co-author of the study. Well, that just sounds like a regular old music superstar of the 1980s. That's not... Oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't do that. Perpetrators are also difficult to identify, the researchers said, because they rarely conform to a single set of personality or other traits. The findings demonstrate the need to spend less time focusing on stranger danger... Uh, that's a quote, and more time thinking about our immediate community environment or extended environment and the potential there for grooming, says Rain. They examined the research of abuse in a number of religious dominations around the world to show, quote, how some religious institutions and leadership figures in them can slowly cultivate children and their caregivers into harmful and illegal sexual activity, unquote. Those institutions include various branches of Christianity, as well as cults and sectarian movements, including the Children of God, the Branch Davidians, the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, as well as a Hindu ashram, and the Devadizis. All right. Uh, I would also mention, though it's probably not involved, apparently not involved in this study, 
uh, some um, ultra-Orthodox Jewish groups in uh, New York, which has been covered in the New York Times. Because of religion's institutional standing, the report continues, religious grooming frequently takes place in a context of unquestioned faith placed in sex offenders by children, parents, and staff, they found. They had a study. The two researchers began their study after the university was asked to provide expert... Oh, no, after one of the uh, researchers, sorry, was asked to provide expert testimony for a Vancouver lawsuit accusing Bollywood choreographer and sect leader Shyamak Davar of sexually abusing two of his dance students. Kent, that is to say, Stephen Kent, a University of Alberta sociologist, realized that although some scholars had written about sexual abuse in religion, they had not identified the grooming process and the distinctive features of it. So there is such a thing as not good grooming. Apparently, news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, it's copyrighted, but, you know, copyright schmoppy right. And now, the Donald Trump song released just a couple of days ago is the second in this series of such songs coming out every week from me for the next little while. You'll see the videos. The first one is up on YouTube now, Son-in-Law, and the next one coming along shortly. But in the meantime, the songs continue uh, with a lyric video, in case you're wondering about the lyrics, up on my site, harryshearer.com, I think. Anyway, this is the second song, and it's about what we've just been living through this last little while. COVID-180. February It's under control Just a few cases Then we rock And we roll The market's like a rocket It's on Twitter and Reddit You could call me crazy But I'm taking credit Corona's just a neighborhood in Queens. We're number one, not some poop hole like Haiti. People keep watching when you do a COVID one.
the apologies of the week the sorriest place in the world oh that's not an infringement deadline melbourne australia there's this huge mining company headquartered down there called rio tinto his chief executive apologized at a australian senate inquiry this week he apologized for the destruction of two sacred caves, saying there was no doubt the company could have made better decisions. This is a defining moment for Rio Tinto. We are absolutely committed to learn and change, Chief Executive John Sebastian Jacques said. The world's biggest iron ore miner, is who they are, late May illegally uh, destroyed two historically significant sacred caves in Western Australia against the wishes of the Aboriginal traditional owners, which sat atop a high-grade ore body that it planned to mine, you know, for the benefit of the Aborigines. The destruction distressed the local Putu Kunti Kurama and Pinikura people and led to the inquiry into how the Destruction was legally blessed. The destruction of the sites, which showed evidence of 46,000 years of continual habitation, occurred just as the uh, 
Black Lives Matter protests trained as global spotlight on racial injustice, as according to the Financial Post. The inquiry is looking at how culturally significant sites came to be destroyed, the processes that failed to protect them, the impacts on traditional owners, and the legislative changes required to prevent such incidents from occurring again. But there will be better decisions made by Rio Tinto, we know that. Videos released Wednesday show an incident at a North Carolina jail that led to the death of a black man who was restrained while having a medical emergency. This happened last year. Several news organizations, including the News and Observers and the New York Times, petitioned a judge to publicly release the videos. They show officers hog-tying 56-year-old John Neville, who died of a brain injury last December, three days after police took him down. One of the videos is from the body cam of one of the five officers involved, who was, they all, all of them were fired last month over the course of 45 minutes of being held in an observation cell, Neville would sustain injuries that would eventually cause him to lose his life, according to Forsyth County District Attorney Jim O'Neill. Neville was being held in jail after police arrested him on an assault warrant. While there, he suffered an unknown medical condition in his sleep. The DA said Neville fell from the top bunk onto the concrete floor of his cell where detention officers and a nurse found him disoriented and confused. As he starts to move and ask for help, officers hold down his arms and legs, tell him he's okay, and repeatedly say, don't fight. At some point, a white mesh hood is placed over Neville's head. He is handcuffed, strapped into a chair, and taken to another cell. Once inside that cell, he's being held face down by several officers as they struggle to remove his handcuffs. An officer says the key snapped off inside the cuffs. Neville repeats a familiar phrase now. I can't breathe. You're breathing because you're talking and you're yelling and you're moving, the deputy replies. You need to stop. You need to relax. Quit resisting us. Neville told jailers more than 20 times he couldn't breathe while he was restrained with his arms behind his back and his legs folded in the hog-tie position. As he goes quiet, the officers call for bolt cutters to remove the cuffs. They don't work, and one of the officers says, He's not looking fine. Officers check with each other, ask if they need a break from restraining him, and check that their cameras are working. They joke about the cuffs. Finally, the cuffs are removed with bolt cutters, and an officer asks if he's all right. The nurse returns, says she can't tell if he's breathing. She examines him, says, I can't hear a heart rate. He died two days later. The autopsy said his brain injury occurred because his heart stopped beating, which deprived his brain of oxygen. It also said he asphyxiated while being restrained. The sheriff's office didn't publicly acknowledge his death for more than seven months. He said... The sheriff did. He withheld word of Neville's death at the request of the family and their attorneys. But now the sheriff, Bobby Kimbrough, apologized to the family, said he was saddened by the videos. Five detention officers and the nurse were charged last month with involuntary manslaughter. Kimbrough told Neville's son, Sean, and the family's lawyer, I apologize again for what took place on that day. Apologize to you and your family. Your father has changed the way health care will be dispensed at the Forsyth County Detention Center, as well as how it will be dispensed throughout this region. Actor Ryan Reynolds has publicly apologized for his wedding with Blake Lively at a former slave plantation in South Carolina. It's something we'll always be deeply and unreservedly sorry for, Reynolds told Fast Company. It's impossible to reconcile. He said he and Lively wanted 
antebellum ceremony for their 2012 wedding. You know, like Lady Antebellum, that kind of antebellum. Pre-Civil War antebellum. What we saw at the time was a wedding venue on Pinterest. What we saw after was a place built upon devastating tragedy, he said. He said the couple had a second ceremony years later at their home. Shame works in weird ways, he said. He's apparently the last person in the United States to be aware that plantations housed slaves. The Australian tourist who got a bit too close to Napoleon's younger sister has apologized. This is from the New York Times. The tourist on a trip to celebrate his 50th birthday, Big Five O, was visiting an art museum in northern Italy last week when he posed with a statue of a reclining Pauline Bonaparte. Her husband had commissioned the semi-nude statue by the artist Canova in the early 19th century. The tourist, as captured on security camera footage, sat down at her feet with his neon sneakers still affixed to the floor, and he mimicked her luxurious sprawl in repose. Someone snapped a photo. By the time he got up, Bonaparte had lost some of her toes. By Tuesday, the man apologized to the president of the foundation that oversees the museum. He hadn't realized. The man said that the plaster toes had snapped off the statue, which is a plaster model for the actual marble sculptor. The museum, which is dedicated to Canova's work, posted part of the letter on Facebook. He didn't flee Italy, but finished his trip as planned with some extra toes in the bargain. I'm asking you for information on what steps are necessary on my part in this situation, he wrote, which is very unpleasant for me, and for which, in the first place, I apologize in every way. There's a discrepancy as to how many toes the Bonaparte plaster model lost. In a Facebook post, the museum said it was two toes. The Italian police told CNN it was three. You know, I believe the museum. Dateline Notre Dame University President Father John Jenkins issued an apology to the student body this week for failing to recommend follow recommended social distancing guidelines while engaging with students. In the email, he apologized for taking photos with students over, around campus over recent days. While all the scientific evidence indicates that the risk of tra- transmission is far lower outdoors than indoors, I want to remind you and myself we should stay at least six feet apart. He said he apologized for his actions and recommended students follow medical advice. Notre Dame, ladies and gentlemen. Jerry Falwell, Jr., President and Chancellor of Liberty University, has agreed to take an indefinite leave of absence, according to a statement from the Evangelical Christian Organization Institution. The leave of absence is effective immediately. The school said this was the Board of Trustees making the request of Falwell. They didn't provide a reason. He came under fire in recent days after posting a picture on Instagram that depicted him with his pants unzipped and his midsection visible to the camera. He's seen holding a a cup of dark liquid with one arm around a woman whose shorts are also unzipped. In a radio interview, he said the woman was his wife's assistant. They were at a costume party, and it was in good fun. You know, it was weird because she's pregnant, so she couldn't get her shorts up. And I was like trying to like, I have a pair of jeans I haven't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get mine zipped up either. So I just put my belly out like hers. He said he should never have put it up and embarrassed her. I've apologized to everybody, and I promised my kids I'm going to be a good boy from here on out. Jerry Falwell, Jr., the person responsible for putting a Trump 2020 sticker on an Asheville, North Carolina's bear collar, a bear in Asheville has a collar, has come forward and apologized for his actions, according to the Help 
Asheville Bears organization. Bears around there are in trouble. 18 individual bears, each missing a limb within a 90-mile radius that independent veterinary and wildlife experts have concluded are the result of leg hold, trap, and snare escapes. Nowhere else on earth have there been this many bears with amputations from injuries in such a small area. Joe Biden apologized late Thursday for comments he made earlier in the day that suggested the African-American community was not diverse. In no way did I mean to suggest the African-American community is a monolith, not by identity, not on issues, not at all, he said in a series of tweets. And he used the word monolith. Zoe Saldana has formally apologized for playing African-American singer, songwriter, and civil rights activist Nina Simone in the 2016 biopic Nina. Saldana identifies as Afro-Latina. She was speaking in an August 3 interview posted to the Instagram account of a media platform founded by Saldana herself. So she gets the views. German carmaker Audi has apologized for an advertisement showing a little girl eating a banana in front of a high-performance car after it drew a torrent of criticism on social media. We hear you. Let's get this straight. We care for children. We sincerely apologize for this insensitive image and ensure it will not be used in the future. And the Chamber of Commerce of Chattanooga, North Chattanooga, there was a Zoom bombing from an individual identified as Todd Williams. He had a swastika in the background and used the N-word and profanity. That's the Zoom bombing of the week, the regular feature of the Apologies of the Week, the copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Okay, just one more, because it twits at my arm. One of the owners of a downtown Port Huron, Michigan restaurant was apologetic this week after facing some backlash over his controversial Facebook comment about Michigan's governor. Mark Rubel suggested the governor should, quote, go and kill herself, unquote, and do the state a huge favor in a comment thread on a public county page. By the next afternoon, he'd posted an apology on his personal Facebook page, which was also shared by the restaurant on its public page. He'd been under a lot of stress because of the impact the virus has had on his business. And it has affected me personally. I'm afraid of losing everything, and it's caused me to really stress out. Emotions got the best of me yesterday. I'm sorry for making comments about a governor. Please hear me. This was not my heart. My heart! And I do not stand behind that statement. Okay, we got it. We shouldn't go out and kill her. We should kill her inside. That's going to conclude this, conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same station on the radio, whenever you want on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like not killing the governor of Michigan. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh.
By the way, the music video for Son-in-Law and the lyric music video for COVID-180, both yours to enjoy, I hope, on YouTube. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facility. Oh, by the way, thanks to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO. Anyway, the program comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and comes through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network, so long from the home of the homeless.